We're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see teaching, <laughs> testing, and transformation. <laughs> These are the things that usually come through studying the Word of God, growing in the Word of God. And just for a sense of recap, let's look at verse 33 and 34. It's going to talk about what Jesus did earlier in this same day, which we studied last week in chapter 4. It says, And with many such parables, He spoke the Word to them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, He did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. So again, that serves as a recap. I purposely left those two verses to bridge last week's study and this week's study to say, what has Jesus been doing all day? Because this is going to be the same day that we're studying. He's been teaching kingdom things. He's been teaching the reality that you must hear the word of God. Receive it upon the good soil that is your heart. Remember the parable of the sower, four different soils. There was some that fell upon the pathway where it got devoured by Satan, the birds of the air. There was a soil where it landed and it just, it sprung up a quick little blade of sort, but it never produced fruit because it was a shallow soil. We had another divided soil where there was thorns and there was all kinds of things that choked out what could have turned into crop. That was those that, that still loved the things of the world and walked in the things of the world and tried to serve two masters. <laughs> But there was this fourth soil. When it landed, it was good. It was tilled. The Holy Spirit, it, there's been a submission to the sower to till the soil away so that the word, the, the seed that is the word of God would land and take root and produce fruit. <laughs> and see, as Jesus was teaching these things, he says, this is the whole point, that you would receive my word. And as they heard the word, that they would come in. See, Matthew 13, 35 explains why Jesus spoke in parables. It says that he was fulfilling Psalm 78, 2, which says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundations of the world. You see, one of the attributes or the characteristics of the coming Messiah that was promised by God was that he would teach people in parables. <laughs> this is kind of crazy, right? I don't think we talk about that as fulfilling messianic prophecy often. But Jesus came and what was written a thousand years before he, he was born said, I'm going to teach this way. I'm going to give people an invitation to come in. And again, the same parable would be told to a whole group of people. And some group, maybe this group would receive it. But yet this group would hear it and say, this is just a weird little story that has nothing to do with me. I'm not a farmer. I don't even know about seed and how to garden. I'm not watching Martha Stewart right now, right? Like, I need, I'm here to hear Jesus because I heard he has the words of life. But these are, these are silly things. Well, it's funny because Paul wrote about the message of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He said the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Same message, same good seed goes out. It's the soil, the hearts of men that will either reject or receive it. It's not on the Lord's fault. Man needs to respond to the goodness of God, the word that's been preached. And Jesus came inviting people in. And it says that when he was alone, the disciples would come and meet with him. It says that he would explain to them. Let me give you the Greek word here for explain. Epiluo. It's a fun word to say. Epiluo. It means to untie a raveled up knot. That is so cool. People walk around, they're like, man, I'm so confused. What is this world about? What is this life for? And nothing makes sense. You come to Jesus, and he begins to untie that confusion. <laughs> he begins to say, let me explain to you everything that you need to know about who God is and the fact that you need to submit to surrender to give your life to him. And when you do so, you will be given eternal life, and you will be made a bondservant, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And see... <laughs> It's crazy because people still say, well, I don't know, man, I tried church. I tried the Bible. I read it. didn't, didn't do anything for me. Can I tell you, you have to prepare the heart. <laughs> you have to come in and say, Lord, show me who you are. Speak through your word. And can I tell you, Jesus is faithful to still explain everything he needs to explain to you. Amen? We know this as people that have grown in the Lord, right? The things that used to make no sense to us. I've told you, I grew up in a Christian environment at a Christian church, in Christian schools. I heard the gospel multiple times a week, most of my life. I didn't give my life to the Lord in sincerity until I was 24 years old. How is that possible? All of a sudden, that word that came in one ear and out the other, it became something so glorious that I said, this is the source. These are the words for life. The thing that changed was that my heart was submitted to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if you come in and continue to fight against the Lord, can I tell you it's going to be a message of foolishness to you? But if you're willing to receive it, oh man, it's going to bring new life. Amen? It's crazy because 
One of my favorite things in the Gospel of Luke, it's funny, there's so many things in the Gospel of Luke, but Luke 24, 27. Do you remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? <laughs> They're talking about everything that's occurred with Jesus' death. The rumors of, of resurrection, potentially, they don't know what's happening. They're like, this is crazy. And you know who showed up and instructed them in everything? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and you know how he did it? <laughs> From the prophets and the law, he started at the Old Testament and he worked his whole way through and said, these things testify of me. Jesus is willing to show you today that this whole Bible is speaking of him and that he will untie, unravel all the confusion that's in your brain <laughs> if you're willing to come with him with an open heart. Does that make sense? This is important because we're going to see the word of God today and the importance of we have to trust in it. Take a look at what's going to happen here in verse 35 to 41. I'm sorry, 35 to 38. It says... On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, do you not care that we are perishing? <laughs> this is a wild section. Hey, I'm going I'm to encourage you in something this morning. Come in with a fresh set of eyes of this story, because we all know, right? We have the spoiler already. You know what Jesus is going to do, right? <laughs> Most people understand, this storm that's coming, Jesus is going to handle it. <laughs> spoiler alert. But the reality is, in this moment, read this like it's your first time, if you can. Come in and say, man, imagine if you're in a boat, and man, the storm is coming on. The waves are coming. They're crashing. It's filling up water. A boat's not supposed to be filled with water. Amen? <laughs> Colin, a sailor, is here. I don't think it's a good thing when, Colin, not a good thing when you get water in the boat, right? Amen. Okay. When the water starts getting in the boat, we start to panic. Let's not blame <laughs> the disciples for being panicked in a storm. And they're not being, you know what the problem is? They, got, they began to believe that the storm was going to be bigger than Jesus' word. They began to believe that the, the, the storm was something that Jesus did not know about, was not going to handle, and they start to freak out. So keep that in mind. <laughs> but it says it's on the same day. This whole thing has been a day, at least since chapter 4, verse 1. Some believe it may go all the way back to chapter 3, verse 20. This is a long day of ministry. Let's just take it from chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus has been teaching from a boat in the Sea of Galilee because he's been afraid that people might crush him because they're always pressing against him. He's preaching these kingdom parables. And can I tell you, teaching is a beautiful, wonderful, awesome thing. There is a physical and spiritual aspect to it, though, when we're doing it through the power of the Spirit. The man, when you're done teaching, there is a drainage thing that happens where you're just like, man, I am done. <laughs> I need some rest. Remember, Jesus added humanity to his deity. And on the same day, he says, I'm not going to go home now and rest. I'm not going to go back and get some food. I'm not going to let's The boat that I'm in, let's take this thing and go to the other side. He says, let us go to the other side. <laughs> this is important. In your Bible, I don't know if it is. In my Bible, those are red words. That means those are the words of Jesus. When Jesus says something, we can trust him. Amen? He says, we're going to the other side of this thing. Now, the Sea of Galilee itself, we may say, well, what is this thing? The Sea of Galilee was actually 13 miles long by 8 miles wide. And it was seated in a valley with these mountains and stuff around it on the coast of it. It was 600, it is, I should say, it still exists, obviously. It's 600 miles below sea level. <laughs> so what could happen is wind would suddenly come up because it's a small body of water. But in this great valley where if a wind comes over, it creates this giant storm suddenly. And so it's interesting here, because Jesus says, we're going over there, we're going to do this, and these guys get in the boat with him. Remember, some of these guys are fishermen, right? I'm thinking if it must have been nice and clear when they got in the boat with Jesus. Because if you're a good fisherman, you're going to be able to look at the clouds, you're going to be able to look at the environment and say, no, this isn't a good time to get in the boat, right? Remember Paul in Acts 27, he's like, not a good time to get in a boat, guys. <laughs> they ignored him, and it was shipwrecked that happened, right? Paul, not necessarily a fisherman, knew that you could tell things. These guys go, let's get in the boat, and it's interesting. It says Jesus was in the back, right? The back of the boat. <laughs> I think this is interesting. I think the fishermen looked around, they're like, yeah, let us go to the other side. No problem. Everything looks good. Jesus, you can even take a little break back here. We got this, man. Go nap. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in a spot in your life where you're like, man, I'm, I'm able to comprehend and handle everything I need to handle. I'm good. It's easy to say that when the skies are clear. <laughs> 
when the storm suddenly shows up, you know what we end up doing? Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? <laughs> Jesus, we're all going to drown. You're going with us. Uh, we stand for your name. If we drown, you drown with us, by the way. Have you ever given God a prayer like that? <laughs> hey, if you let me die, I told everyone I belong to you, man. So this is on you now, right? A minute ago, you told Jesus to go take a nap. <laughs> but now, oh, come, come save me, Jesus. Come do this. And see, it's interesting because it says the boat, again, it began to fill with water. <laughs> Have you ever been in a spot in your life where you're like, okay, the storm is brewing, and then the storm starts, and not only does it start, man, it is filling up the boat with water. <laughs> I know there are people in this room this morning that you're probably like, dude, James shouldn't even teach this. I should be teaching this because I'm in such a storm right now. <laughs> And I'll tell you, if you're not in a storm, here's the good news for this morning, I guess. It's inevitable. The Lord's going to take you to a storm at some point. I don't know what that's going to look like. And you know what? I don't know how to even pray for that besides the fact that you would know Jesus better through it. <laughs> that you would know who He is because we have been promised in this world we will have tribulation. Trials, storms. It's a promise of God. But be of good cheer. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. I'm bigger than the world. I'm bigger than the storms. I'm bigger than all these things you need to trust in me, Jesus would say. And whatever storm you're in this morning, God is not blind to it. Even if this storm has been produced by the enemy to destroy you, can I tell you, God will sometimes allow these things that we would cry out and call out upon him. As Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And then also we know, I think about Job. Job was a guy, he's a poster boy of suffering. What did Job do wrong to deserve it? It was the enemy coming, trying to show God that no, I'll get him to fall. And the Lord allowed it, but he said, just don't kill him. <laughs> you might be in a season where you're like, I think God gave the command, just don't kill him. <laughs> I tell you, God is faithful. He'll allow things that you will draw in closer to him and that you will understand who Jesus is. Some of you have just moved out here. <laughs> I did that two years ago. There's an element where you're like, oh, praise the Lord, we're going where we need to go. These are the disciples, right? Let's get in the boat. We're obeying the word of Jesus. And what came from their obedience? A storm. Don't let anyone tell you, well, if you do everything right, there's not going to be storms in your life. Tell that to Jesus, by the way. Jesus died on a cross after living the perfect life. Amen? Paul the Apostle knew suffering, and Paul wrote most of the New Testament, in my opinion. <laughs> That's a pretty crazy thing to think about. Don't let anyone tell you when you come to Jesus, it's all rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> but can I tell you what's great? Is that He's overcome the world. That though we may look at things in a temporal setting, and the Lord has an eternal plan, He's so far ahead of you. If you just came out here and you say, man, I'm kind of in, I don't know, the Lord called me here, but this is crazy. Can I tell you from experience? If the Lord's called you here, He's going to see you through it. <laughs> He's going to direct you. He's going to lead you to the places He needs you to go. And maybe it's for as simple as leading someone else to the Lord and representing Him as a testimony. Amen? There were seasons where I knew. I never doubted I was called here, but there were some seasons where it was like, man, Lord, I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> How do I make ends meet? And then the Lord would bring things, and it was kind of humbling. But you step into them, and you do them, and you trust the Lord. And can I tell you, looking back, I'm so grateful for the storms. <laughs> That sounds crazy. It's probably easier because I'm not actively in the storm at the moment. <laughs> but I can tell you, coming out of the storm, I can trust the next time the Lord leads me into one, that He has overcome the world. I pray that's an encouragement to you this morning, right? Amen. I don't know where you're at, but the Lord sees you. He has His hand upon you. It's been said, I believe it was Wearsby that said it, that I read it from. He said, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And see, Jesus has spent all day teaching people His Word. When I was in college, I was, I, I was not a biology major, but I had to take biology. I don't know why they do that to a marketing guy, right? But what you would do is you'd have to take the marketing, or I'm sorry, the, the uh, biology classroom instruction and a biology lab. Do you know why that is? In the classroom, you can check all the right boxes on the test. Be like, oh yeah, I know that, Siri, I know that thing. When they put you in a lab, you have to start cutting things open and stuff, and you get, it gets dirty and nasty, and you're like, oh, this is terrible, right? Shout out to all the biologists in here, right? That's why I went into marketing. But the reality is I barely passed biology too. But I think about how Jesus will give us instruction, the classroom, so to speak. Then he leads us into the laboratory to put it to testing. And see, Jesus does not just give you theory. He gives you truth. And when you take his truth, you're going to find yourself getting tested in these things. But let me tell you, it's not to prove that you're good. It's to prove that God is good. That we can trust in Him. That we can take what we've learned and apply it as truth. And we're told, 
Jesus cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. He cares for us. Therefore, we can cast our cares upon Him. See, in this section, what happens with the disciples? Three things are said, basically, in this one statement. They say, Teacher, what was the exact words here? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? <laughs> care. So let me tell you the first thing they said. Jesus, you don't care because we're going through a storm and you don't seem to be doing anything. <laughs> That's opposite of what the Word of God says, right? Again, He cares for us, therefore we should cast our cares upon Him. But in the moment of the storm, they're like, man, now that it's not clear skies, Jesus must not care about us. Secondly, they doubted Jesus' word that they were going to make it to the other side. So not only were they going through a storm, they're like, we're going to die here. We're all dying. And they said, all of us, y'all, we, you, Jesus, we're all going down at the bottom of the sea. Can I tell you the third thing of doubt in this statement? Nowhere in Scripture does the Messiah drown at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> you said that He's the Messiah. You said that you're going to trust His Word. You said that He cares for you. And now in one statement, you've said, no, I don't believe any of that because the storm is so big. I think it's great because they go and wake up Jesus and guess what? He wakes up. The storm didn't wake him up. The voice of His disciples who He loves woke Him up. <laughs> And he says, hey, like, I think it's funny. He's sleeping. Can I tell you, if you feel like Jesus is just ignoring you, it's probably because he's at peace with the outcome. <laughs> Jesus wasn't thinking, man, I better get up because I might drown at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> he's like, dude, I'm getting some rest. Sleeping in the storm. It's a peaceful sleep that is not an oblivious sleep or a disregard for his disciples. Amen? Jesus is interceding on our behalf today. He's alive and well, and God is still on the throne. <laughs> we get panicked because the storm comes, and we think the storm is bigger than His Word. Jesus said we were going to the other side, but I don't believe it anymore because there's a storm. How big is your God? Who is Jesus to you? Is He only the Messiah and Lord when it's good? Or is He still who He says He is even in the storm? And see, that's what we're seeing here. Look what happens, 39 through 41. We all know what's going to happen. It says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? <laughs> this is an incredible section. Jesus wakes up, just trying to get a nap in. Remember, he's now added humanity to his deity. I have to stress this. Just exhausted. He goes, hey, these guys are fishermen. They, they know my word. They'll be good. We're good. Goes to sleep. They wake up. They're like, we're all going to die. <laughs> right? And Jesus is like, okay. Gets up from the back of the boat. And with a phrase... <laughs> His words in red here. He rebukes the wind. He says, peace be still. In the Greek, this translates as be muzzled, be speechless. If we were to translate it into common language now, it would be shut up. <laughs> That's what the Lord told this, this storm. Remember, Jesus did the same thing. I believe it was in Mark 1, verse 44, I believe, when he cast out a demon out of the man that was in the synagogue. Remember? Translates essentially, it's, shut up. He's rebuking spirits. He says, no, get out. The demon's gone. Get out of here. And man, in this moment, Jesus stands up and he calls out an, a great calm. The word for calm in the Greek is galene. It means stillness or tranquility. <laughs> okay, just think about this for a second. Well, it's one thing to have the storm stop. Because don't storms sometimes just naturally stop? Okay, that would be one thing. Maybe Jesus just got lucky, right? He said it at the right moment. The, the wind stopped. Stillness. If you have a swimming pool and you throw something in it, you see the ripples, right? The ripples keep going, whether the thing's sunk or the thing's up. There's, there's a reaction. All the reactions of the storm, which is unnatural, just stopped and became still like glass, according to the original language. <laughs> We're talking about no more waves, no more ripples, nothing. Because he said, shut up, be still, be quiet. One, one sentence. And in that moment, it's incredible because it goes totally still. And it says that he rebuked the wind. See, this is interesting. Because that word rebuked, it's the same exact word that relates to Jesus casting out demons in the gospel. This is kind of crazy. I'm going to tell you what I believe, which many commentators agree, or I guess I agree with the commentators. They're smarter than me. I agree with the commentators that the wind that is coming upon this sea suddenly 
This is of a satanic origin. It's believed that, remember what one of the temptations of Satan was to Jesus. Bow down to me and I'll give you the whole world, right? Do you know why that was? He didn't want Jesus going to the cross. He didn't want Jesus going and, for, and taking away the sins of man. We understand that, right? Satan doesn't want that. Now you have Jesus and his disciples, guys much like Job that have said, hey, we belong to the Lord Jesus. He says, I'm going to rattle their cage right now and I'm going to try to destroy the Messiah at sea. Because remember, he's the, 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 the author of confusion and he's also like the deceiver of all deceivers, right? He really thinks he can win, I think. He knows the outcome, but he somehow has perverted himself to think that he's going to win. And this thing comes and Jesus rebukes it. <laughs> See, I believe if Jesus rebuked the wind if it was caused by God, that would kind of be blasphemous, right? That wouldn't be submission to the Father. I believe what, he, what was happening here was that Satan produced a wind. God allowed it so that Jesus could step in and prove himself to his disciples who he is. You may be in a storm like, man, God, why is God doing this? God has allowed it that Jesus could come and reveal to you who he is. This is an important detail. I'm so glad that Mark uses the word rebuke because otherwise we might just think that God is mean. God's just mean and setting us up so that Jesus can show off. No, Jesus is coming to defend us against the, the powers of the enemy because he is the stronger man that binds the strong man as we read a couple weeks ago. Amen? And see, in this section, <laughs> it's incredible because he turns to them and he says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Two questions. First of all, why are you so fearful? Was I not in the boat with you, Jesus could say? <laughs> not only was I on the boat, I was peacefully sleeping back here, and I gave you my word that we were going. Again, Jesus is not oblivious to human fear. There's something fearful about a storm. But to panic and say, Jesus, you don't care about us, we're going to die in it, that's sinful. See, we can be afraid of the storm. All of us understand that, right? Storms are scary. None of us want a storm. But when we begin to believe they're bigger than Jesus' word, that Jesus doesn't love us because they've come, we have lost the very basis of faith that we have in the word of God. And he says, how is it that you guys, how is it that you, my disciples, have no faith? Shouldn't they have the most faith? <laughs> they sat at the feet of Jesus. They've gone to him alone and got the information. Can I tell you what's happening? They're being tested on the instruction they were given. And in the moment, they're kind of failing. <laughs> But I love it. Jesus doesn't go, all right, get out of the boat, man. Kicks him out, right, into the ocean. Could you imagine? He's just like, get out, you're done. I'm done with you. New disciples coming now. <laughs> Jesus says, you don't need to be fearful. I'm with you. And see, 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, right, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What happens in storms is we lose our sound mind because we start doubting the words of God. We forget His love for us. We forget His power and we get completely freaked out by the storm around us. <laughs> Jesus' sound mind. <laughs> Remember my word that we're going to the other side. Remember my word that I'm with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. I have overcome the things of the world. Stay in the truth. Hold on to those red words of Jesus as we would say. <laughs> And man, as these guys are here, it's incredible because what came forth here <laughs> says in verse 41, they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been in a spot, maybe you have, where you believed in theory that, hey, Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is a good man. Jesus is this, that, the other thing. When you go through a storm where the only thing you have to hold on to is the Word of God, the only name you have on to, is Jesus, to hold on to is Jesus, I'll tell you, when you come out of that storm and He proves Himself faithful, you're blown away, right? You go, man, this book that was closed 2,000 years ago, this is real. The Holy Spirit that He has promised now resides in me, reminding me that He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, and that storm revealed it. The storms that we pray to never come into our life grew us in who, understanding who the Lord is. Some of you in this room have recently gone through gnarly storms. <laughs> That's that California word. Bad storms, right? <laughs> Y'all have been in gnarly storms. Hybrid. <laughs> and <laughs> it's crazy because in that season, when we're going through them, we're like, why am I going through this? That you may come out and realize that Jesus is God the Son. 
You see, Psalm 107, I'm not going to turn there, but I would recommend you go home and read Psalm 107, verse 23 through 31. In that section, you could almost read it as a parallel account of this very event that's happening. It was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. And it says, you know, who can calm the seas? There's only one that can calm the seas. God. God is the one that calms the seas when they're roaring, when they're raging, when people are out upon them just trying to go about their work, which like the disciples are doing here. They're freaked out, they're panicked, they cry out to him, and he rises up and he calms them, it says. You see, these men were very familiar with the Old Testament, right? <laughs> they understood Psalm 89. They understood Psalm 107. It says, God alone calms the seas. And see, they called out to their teacher, their rabbi, right? Rabbi, aren't you worried that we're all going to die? Don't you care about us? See, they went from just calling him teacher to this point, they realized he is deity. He's God the Son. <laughs> That's very important because many people will say that Jesus is a good teacher, good man, but they believe that he's God the Son. This is important, right? This is a crucial because God himself put on flesh and came and died in our place. <laughs> Not just some random person. This is God and He came and He fulfilled the law perfectly, completely holy. And God took on our sins to remove them. And see, Jesus proved who He is. And He says, you don't think you can trust my word? Let me show you what I can do. The very things. Look at the stillness of the water after that storm that you thought we were all going to die in. And it says that their fear of the storm, it was now replaced with the fear of Jesus. <laughs> A reverence, if you will. How often we're panicked about the storm, then the Lord uses it to bring us to revere Jesus even more. <laughs> Jesus says, I've taught you my word, I've tested you in it, now you know, even though you failed in it, <laughs> now you know, and now you can walk in it, amen? We may fail in the storm, Jesus will not. <laughs> are we going to trust in his word or are we going to panic? Again, there's nothing wrong with being afraid of the storm. It's totally different to say Jesus can't handle this storm. <laughs> See, what they did with the fear was the problem, amen? All of us have things we fear, but we got to trust that, man, the Lord has never given up His sovereign hand upon everything. <laughs> he is in control this morning. Whatever you're going through, run to the Lord. <laughs> trust Him. He will carry you through it. Amen? Look at the transformation section. Look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5. It says, Then they came to the other side. That's a good note, right? They made it. <laughs> They came to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gadareans. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even the chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. <laughs> Welcome to church, right? That's a heavy word right there. This is kind of a dark scene. I sent it out to our men's signal group. If you have children in here and you want to use our children's ministry today, because it's kind of dark, right? We know Jesus wins. Amen? But the process, again, come into this with fresh eyes this morning. This is more terrifying than any Hollywood horror movie. <laughs> Hollywood can't compete with the Bible, in my opinion, by the way. <laughs> There's something terrifying about a demonic spirit putting itself into a human being and taking control of it. And see, this is probably the most detailed account we have in all of Scripture of a demon possession. This is the demoniac. I have a, a, a map, I believe, um, for this section, just to give you an idea of what we're looking at. I don't know if you can see the names on here. I'll give you an idea. There's this little body of water here. That's the Sea of Galilee, that 13 miles by 8 mile uh, land of, uh, or, um, body of water there. They're going from Capernaum, which is kind of on the north, uh, northwest side there, and they're coming down probably to Gergesa is what it's believed, because in Luke 8, I believe it's Luke 8, verse 28 or 26, it says that they went opposite of Capernaum. So it might be Gergesa, we're not totally sure, which would be modern-day Kersey, which is a, it's just this mountainous region right on the water there. It still exists today, but it says they're going to a real place. I think this is important. The Bible isn't a fable. <laughs> 
We're not talking about, you know, Narnia or Oz or something. We're talking about real cities, real places. If it happened in Texas, it would be Plano and McKinney, right? <laughs> be Lake Grapevine, maybe. I don't know. But in this case, these are real places, real people, real things. And they come into this town. Again, we believe it's probably that city of Gergesa. And it is predominantly Gentile there. This is a region right near the Decapolis, which is the ten cities of the Gentiles. It's a big region where they're not necessarily, they're not looking for a Messiah because they're mostly Gentile. Do we understand that? So they're not looking for the Jewish Messiah. But can I tell you what's important here? We're going to see this. Jesus didn't limit himself to revealing himself to the Jews. Jesus had a heart to cross over the sea to endure storms so that he could reveal who he was to the Gentiles, right? This is important. So I don't know how many of you are in here, but many of us are Gentiles. If Jesus doesn't love or care for Gentiles, we're all in big trouble. <laughs> this is an important detail, an important note, and it's prophesied. Isaiah 42.1, Isaiah 49.6, Isaiah 45.22, he says, Turn to me all the ends of the earth and you will be saved. Isaiah 49.6, the Lord tells the Messiah, He says, I will give you also as a light to the Gentiles. But see, many times that was misconstrued and thought, well, the Messiah is coming to elevate us, the Jews, above everyone else, and He's going to destroy Gentiles. Gentiles are made to stoke the fires of hell in the mind of extreme Jews at that time. But Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, right? He also came to testify to those in the world. To those that are Gentiles. And so he gets to the other side. And man, talk about a long day again. <laughs> he's been teaching all morning. If we just take it from chapter 4, verse 1. He's been teaching. He's been through a storm where his disciples came and woke him up from probably a pretty good Sunday nap, right? And they wake him up and he has to rebuke a storm. That's probably an energy-related thing. I don't know. The Holy Spirit flowing through you for that. It's probably pretty gnarly. <laughs> gnarly, sorry. And then, <laughs> and then he gets to the shore. And what's the first thing he encounters? A demoniac who we're going to find out is not filled with one demon with many demons this is a hardcore section as we look at this and see we're told here that it's probably Peter's eyewitness report because there's some things here that seem like man this is you had to be there for this he says they come in here or they, they show up on the land and here's this man he's been known to break the shackles and the chains they put him in he lives in a cemetery in the tombs he cuts himself with rocks and he screams all night and day that's terrifying I'm sorry I don't know who you are if you've read this if you read this as your morning devotional with your coffee and thought nothing of it we need to slow down and read it okay <laughs> this is terrifying you don't want to read this account before bedtime I feel like right? this is heavy and here's this man and he comes over here we're told that he wore no clothes in Luke 8 27 he's naked too this is a crazy scene <laughs> and Jesus gets off out of the boat onto the shore and it says in Matthew 8 28 that no one could pass that way and in Luke 5 4 it says no one could tame him it's stressing the reality this is a problem that this place had for a long time and no one could solve it Jewish superstitions couldn't cast out this demon they couldn't teach this guy hey just get better man like get it together right they couldn't do anything this needed Jesus and Jesus alone <laughs> And see, it's crazy because it says they just passed around away from him. I don't know what thing you've endured in your life, what sin you've put up with and said, man, the Lord can't deliver me from this. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to compartmentalize this sin over here. Jesus can't deliver me from this. Can I tell you? Let Jesus show up. <laughs> Open that thing of Jesus and watch Jesus remove that demonic thing from your life. Amen? <laughs> Jesus shows up, and look what happens in verse 6 through 10. We have this encounter. It says, When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. So, we have this encounter where this demon runs up to him, and it says that he fell and worshipped him. The word is proskuneo. This is a word that can mean many different kinds of worship. We see it used in the proper sense, kind of to say that we need to honor God. But there's a couple different words that are used in the Greek for, for worship. This one can also be applied in a way where you're purely recognizing the authority of someone. 
What this seems like, because remember, this is a demon. This is a fallen angel, right? Part of that third that left with Lucifer, right? Rebelled against God. He's not worshiping in spirit and truth. Does that make sense? <laughs> He's not worshiping the way you and I worship because we have submitted to Jesus as Lord. Yes, we've recognized his power, but we've also surrendered to it. And that's what scripture calls us to do. This thing has shown up and it's basically acknowledging the ranking of Jesus. And it's not doing it in a way it's like, oh, I submit to you, Jesus. There's a battle that's happening here, too, because he calls him by name. He says, I know who you are. You're Jesus, the son of the most high God. First of all, we know Jesus usually tells demons to quiet up, right? Because he doesn't want people getting all excited about that. But now he's in Gentile territory. People don't even know what this means initially. But they're hearing this and they're like, man, what is happening here? The demon knows Jesus' name. In Jewish superstition, that would lend to the demon having the upper hand here. If you didn't have the name of the demon, it was believed you couldn't cast out a demon. But it's interesting. Jesus has cast out mute demons. We've seen that already, right? Jesus doesn't need your superstitions to work in your life. He doesn't need your superstitions to, to perform his miracles. But he shows up here, and this thing begins to fight in a way. And you know what it said right here at one point? Look what it says here. It says, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. The demon is saying, hey, I'm using the name of God against you, Jesus. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Remember when the sons of Sceva tried to use the name of Christ against those demons and they whooped them? Remember that? They had no relationship with Jesus. In this case, this demon's calling on the name of God who it is not surrendered to. That's not going to work. And even we're told, it's, I want to find the right reference here. It's going to be in Matthew 8, 29. They, they cried out, Have you come here to torment us before the time? <laughs> This is an interesting detail that Matthew includes in his account because he's proven that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that's going to overthrow all those powers, all those things. And the demon says, hey, there is a day that's appointed for us to be destroyed. But it's not that day yet. You know why? Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. Colossians tells us at the cross, he disarmed principalities. But even then, they haven't been judged. That's going to happen in Revelation 19 and 20, right? Where they're put into the abyss, right? The Greek word is abuso. We see that used in the other account as well. He says, don't send us into the abyss. It's not time yet. This demon knows a little bit of scripture, it turns out. <laughs> this demon has theology, it turns out. The problem is it has no faith in who Jesus is. And it's not submitted to Jesus Christ, amen? Be careful. You might have all the right ideas in some things and say, oh man, I have good theology. You know, we're told in James 2.19 that the demons, they tremble, but it's not a saving faith. <laughs> they say, oh man, yeah, no, we know that he's God. We know that Jesus is the son, but we're not submitted to him. There are many out there today that have read this from cover to cover, but because they haven't submitted their heart to the Lord in faith, it's of no use. They can't call on the name of God and they haven't sub submitted to Jesus. And there's only one thing that's going to happen to you when you want to oppose Jesus. You're going to lose. <laughs> and see, in this case, what happens, it says that Jesus says, come out of the, the man, unclean spirit. And this thing's freaking out. This guy with this full of demons is freaking out, fighting Jesus on this. And it says that he repeatedly asked him, hey, what's your name? Let me be clear. Jesus didn't need to know this demon's name. We understand that, right? I think this is for our sake and for everyone that was on the scene to go, man, this isn't just one demon we're battling. Jesus, the one that just calmed the storm, he's going to cast out thousands of demons right now. <laughs> if he just had power over the natural realm, that would be one thing. But he's going to show that he has power over the spiritual realm as well. And see, this is important. And see, it says that he says, my name's Legion. That's not a name. What he's doing is he's throwing out, he's saying, let me explain to you what's happening here. Legion was a term for Roman soldiers, a troop that usually had 6,000 people in it. He says, I have thousands of demons in me. Do you know what you're coming up against, Jesus? Son of God, you think you can take me out? He's trying to intimidate Jesus. He's hoping. But it's so funny because he knows he's losing here. He, start, he knows what the outcome is. Look at what he does in verse 10. Also, he begged that he, earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. So he's trying to flex up on Jesus. Oh, I can beat you. But also, please don't send me out to the country. <laughs> this thing's scared of Jesus. <laughs> How many times Satan comes to try to intimidate us? And we're like, oh, legion, right? Scary stuff. Terrifying, by the way. But whatever the storm is, whatever the attack is in your life, you're like, man, this is too big. This thing behind, the behind his threat is like, hey, but you're in control and I know that. Please don't destroy me right now. We don't see that side sometimes when our mind gets given over to fear, right? 
we start to panic and believe legion, believe the attacks of Satan, begin to believe that God is not capable of delivering, look what happens here in verse 11 through 17. It says, Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 pigs. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine, they fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. <laughs> So, all right, again, fresh eyes, right? <laughs> I have a picture. This is, my, I believe, modern-day cursey. There's a picture here that gives you an idea. There's the tombs. If you can't read that, there's the cliffs. So this man used to dwell in the tombs in the, in the cemetery, and these pigs are somewhere by the mountainside, and when they get possessed of these demons, they run off the cliff and drown, and fall off the cliff and drown in the sea, thousands of them. I don't think we understand how insane this would be if we were there. <laughs> Imagine, Jesus is arguing with this demon-possessed man who's saying, I have thousands in me, but please don't cast me out into, into nothing. Don't send me into the abyss. It's not time yet. Don't send me out into nothing. And he says, hey, let us go into those pigs over there. And this is the first time we see anyone make deviled ham in Scripture. <laughs> Come on. You had to. It's been too long since you left. Groan, groan, groan. I know, I know, I know. But here's the first and only time. And they, they run off the sides of this hill, the side of this thing. And it's crazy because 2,000 pigs start running. And I'll tell you, these guys that take care of the pigs, they're like, this is no good for our reputation, first of all. We're responsible for one thing, taking care of pigs. That's already a lowly job. And it's going to look like you just bombed at it as your whole herd just fell off the cliff, right? No one's going to believe this. They're like, this is crazy. But we look at this and go, what does this all mean? Why did he allow them to go into pigs? You ever thought about that? <laughs> I think, first of all, this is, I don't know. I don't need to make that joke. Let's keep going. All right. So <laughs> we'll get ourselves in trouble. It'll become a soundbite. I'll get in trouble. We don't want that. Um, there's a reality here, though, that people go, those poor pigs, right? Those poor pigs just hanging out and eating pig food, right? And then they get hit with 2,000 demons and run over the hill. Remember the poor man. <laughs> There's a man made in the image of God who is filled with these demons, and Jesus says, you are made in the image of God. I'm going to deliver you from these things. Do you know the, what demons do? We've been told about this. They go about looking for places to reside in. Do you know what that means? If Jesus just says, hey, go wherever you want, guess where they're going to go? Other people. Do you know what I believe this points? First of all, Jesus and God don't hate animals. Let's be clear. <laughs> But can I tell you, Jesus values human life above animals. Amen. This is important. This is where I'm going. That's why I didn't want to make the joke because there's something important here. Can I tell you today, people are worried about saving the polar bears. Cool. That's cool. I like polar bears. Right? The Coca-Cola ads and everything. Cool. Polar bears are cool. They're panicked about polar bears, though. They're going away. These same people will stand in March and say we should abort babies. There's something so wrong here. I'm not saying we shouldn't save the polar bears. But if we're okay with the babies that are being destroyed and killed, there's a problem here. And see, people look at this section, close the Bible, and go, Jesus just destroyed pigs. I'm so upset. He rescued mankind. <laughs> he healed humans. You are more valuable than the animals. Praise the Lord for that. You've been made in his image. You're not an animal. The school districts will tell you you're an animal, by the way. They'll tell you you can behave like an animal. That's a thing now. I didn't know that. That's kind of crazy. I'm feeling really old these days, right? I'm like, am I that old guy that can't relate to kids? I guess I can't relate to people that call themselves furries and act like dogs and cats in school. That's kind of crazy. That's a real thing. It's happening here in McKinney in the school district. And it's allowed and permitted for kids to wear leashes and show up and think they're animals. Do you know what this is? This is a removal from the biblical idea that we are made in the image of a true God. If we understood that there is a God who made us and designed us this way, this would be unacceptable behavior. But we allow it because it pushes us further away from having to submit to God as Lord. If I say this is not truth, guess what I don't have to do? Submit to it. Should I say it? Everyone wants a Savior. No one wants a Lord. 
Everyone goes, if we can just do away with truth, man, we can do whatever we want. Can I tell you it's destructive? This demoniac, he did whatever he felt like. How did that end up for him? Jesus came and delivered this man, and people get hung up on the pigs. Hey, I know, it's tough. <laughs> but you know what's more important? Delivering humans from sin. We're made in the image of God. Don't leave here thinking you're equal to animals. <laughs> the Lord loves you and cares for you. Does that make sense? That's, you're like, really, from pigs? I know, right? Uh, in verse 15, when we look at this section here, it says, they went out and they told everyone, and then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and the, the one that had the legion. And it says he was sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. This is similar to that idea of how the disciples now felt. They revered Jesus in a fear, right? This is a little different. They come in, and they're like, okay, there's no doubt that Jesus did this thing. Everyone's telling us what happened. But they're like, man, this is kind of scary, because if he's stronger than the guy we used to chain up in the cemetery, he's going to destroy all of us. He's going to kill us. But see, they don't know who Jesus is. When you understand that Jesus has all the power, but he also has all the love, I tell you, that's a wonderful thing. That is a wonderful message. He is the greatest master, and he, he has come that you would know him in sincerity and truth and understand that he has power over all things. But they come in, and they're told, hey, this is what happened. He did heal this man. They're like, that's pretty crazy, right? But they're like, oh, but he also destroyed our pigs. That was something that affected them in a way they said, no, we want you out of here. <laughs> You see, pigs, first of all, this was going to be raised for food of some sort, it seems like. Secondly, it had an economic effect, right? This is someone's business. The cares of this world are attached to the pigs in this sense, and Jesus just destroyed it. I believe it was Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck used to say that it's possible that there were Jews that were actually raising these pigs, and according to Leviticus 11.7, they shouldn't have been doing so, and this was Jesus kind of two birds with one stone, was like, all right, you shouldn't have those. Into the sea they go. That's interesting, right? Let me tell you another thing that's kind of funny. You know why these pigs were being raised? To be sold and killed. And then people were mad that Jesus just drowned the pigs, right? The only thing that changed was people didn't make money in it. And now they're like, you know what? We want you out of here. You've disrupted our lifestyle. You have interrupted our, our program. We don't want that. You, we're terrified of what you... If you did that with the demoniac, if you did that with our pigs, what else are you going to take from me? And see, so many times people stop short. They'll come and look into what Jesus has done, but they say, wait a minute, I don't want Jesus coming and changing everything. Can I tell you, Jesus is never going to make you a debtor to him in the sense he's going to take things that you are not blessed to be removed, amen? He takes things that we go, man, this is so important to me, and he has a way of bringing, first of all, beauty out of ashes. He has a way of giving back the years that have been eaten by the locusts, and he does it out of his love and his power and his ability, and he is the one and only one who can do it. But you have to submit to it. <laughs> If you say, Jesus, this is too weird. I don't like this. You're messing up my system. You're messing up my program. I'm out. Do you know what Jesus will do? Look at verse 18. When he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. <laughs> when they told Jesus to depart, Jesus said, Okay, Jesus is a perfect gentleman. He's never going to force himself upon anyone. He says, I've shown you what I can do. I've shown you who I am. I've clearly healed this person, but you don't want me. I'm getting in the boat and I'm going. That's a scary verse, actually. We want to think that Jesus is just going to beg and beg and beg, oh, please, like a sad little puppy. Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings. But he does have compassion, desires that you turn to him, amen? Everyone thinks, oh, I'll, ch I'll change my mind later. I can do this whenever. You know, Jesus is my servant. You know what? Jesus is giving them an opportunity, and they say, we don't want you to interrupt our life, disrupt our program. But you know what's awesome? At the same time, guess who ran to him and said, I want to follow you? <laughs> the one that had experienced the power of Jesus. The one that had been delivered by Jesus. We all know this, right? If we've put our trust in Jesus, you may not have literally been filled with a demon, maybe, I don't know, but if you've been possessed with demons, so to speak, right? I don't know what your battle was. Could have been whatever. <laughs> when you came to Jesus, He delivered you from it. You know what you did, right? You said, I'm following you all the days of my life. I want to be with you, Jesus. This is it. I want to be with you forever. <laughs> And then Jesus says, no, he didn't permit him. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's a good thing, right? 
I think it's funny how we always think we know what is exactly best for us in the Lord's plan. This man said, well, now you've healed me, I just want to be with you all the time, just like your disciples. Same phrase that was used in Mark 3.12, that they would be with Jesus. He says, I want to be your disciple now. He says, no, I have something else for you to do. I want you to go to your home. And Luke uses a word that has to do with family. This man may have had a family at one time. Go to your family. Go to your house. Go to your hometown. Go to your friends. And tell them what the Lord has done for you. <laughs> go share your testimony with the people that you know. I always laugh at this. Imagine this guy coming back from the tombs and his family's at home. They're like, oh, dad's coming, dude. He's at the demoniac dad is coming, right? No, I'm good. I promise. I'm good. I, I found Jesus. Jesus came and healed me, right? They probably panicked when they saw him coming. But it says everyone marveled because they saw and heard that his testimony aligned with the power of Jesus. What if the demoniac shows up still possessed, cutting himself and says, hey, guys, Jesus changed me. Like, no, this is not true. But there was clear evidence that he'd been delivered. He's in his right mind. He's wearing clothes now. That's a big step, right? He's wearing clothes. He's not destroying himself. And he walks up and he's telling people, Jesus, the Lord, has had compassion on me. I don't know what things the Lord has had compassion on, but he has had compassion on you, amen? Have you told people about it? <laughs> and you might say, well, I just want to be at church all day, man. That's great. This is what this guy wanted. I just want to hang out with Jesus all day. He says, hey, I got somewhere for you to go, though. Continue, go over here. And you know what's crazy? The record shows us... Nowhere in the record, I should say, does it show us that Jesus ever came back to this region. When they said, hey, get out of here, Jesus says, okay, I'm leaving. But he didn't leave them without a testimony. <laughs> he left them with this man who would testify. And history shows us that there was a Christian growth in that community. This man obeyed the command of Jesus to go make disciples, essentially the Great Commission. He said, I have been changed by Jesus and I'm showing you and it's evident and it's true. But I have to, we end with this. <laughs> Jesus said, go tell them what the Lord has done for you, right? We go, the Lord, God, right? It says, then he went and he, he proclaimed in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. Did, he, did his wires get crossed? Is he preaching about Jesus when he's supposed to talk about God, the Lord? Can I tell you what this means? Just like the sea, <laughs> the calming of the sea. Jesus is the Lord, amen? He's one and the same in the sense that He is God the Son, that He is deity. And He says, I'm going to proclaim who my Lord and Master and who your Lord and Master is, and you need to submit to Him. And He went out and told everyone. And I think this is just so wonderful because Jesus went through a storm to get there, right? How many people did He actually lead to a confession of faith? One. The good shepherd leaves in 99 to seek out the one loss. Jesus didn't go and go, oh, I'm only going over there because there's going to be great revival there. I'm going to get the whole Decapolis region right now. I'm going to have a great crusade out there. He went all the way through that storm to reach one man that was so full of demons. And he, when he did, he said, no, you stay here and you testify to everyone. I'm going now. So many times I think, well, Jesus is just interested in big things, numbers, right? Jesus wants a personal, individual relationship with you. Amen? If it's one person, if it was only for one, he would have gone to the cross and died. <laughs> if it was just for you, he would have done it. But you know what? He died for the sins of the world. And this morning, if you're here and you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, today is a day of salvation. Amen? You've come here, and in some form and fashion, Jesus has come to meet you right where you're at. <laughs> If you're willing to accept him, I'll tell you, he'll disrupt your lifestyle, amen? <laughs> but it's a, for a blessedness. It is for what you were created for, to know personal communion with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And he fills you with the power of his spirit that you may continue to grow and abide and produce God-glorifying fruit that others may see it as Matthew 5, 16 says, and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Praise the Lord that Jesus is willing to explain these things and willing to come and seek out the sinner. Amen? Amen. Man, an incredible section of Scripture. I'm kind of bummed to some extent that we're going to go to Palm Sunday next week. We have to pause it, right? But I'll tell you, next week we're going to hit the triumphal entry. We're going to talk about what it all meant when Jesus arrived. And I would encourage you to come back. But for now, let's stand and let's pray.